Well, we have five offices in the Pacific. We have an office in Honolulu, in Pearl City, in Hilo, in Kona, and on Guam, with a total of 17 beds. And I personally live in Kona, but I log into the different offices as well as travel on an almost monthly basis. Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense, common knowledge, or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do, but only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have Gabrielle Barthelm, MD, PhD. Yeah. She's an ABMS board certified in both sleep medicine and neurology. And during her career, she uh, directed sleep centers at prestigious places such as New York Hospital uh, in Cornell and Mount Sinai in New York City as well as the Freiburg and Munich universities in Germany. And she's published widely. Uh, she has three books out, 15 peer-reviewed articles, 33 abstracts, and she's been invited to speak at over 250 lectures. So, um, Gabrielle, thank you for coming. How are you doing today? Good, thank you. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it seems like you move around quite a bit. Where are you located right now? Well, we have five offices in the Pacific. We have an office in Honolulu, in Pearl City, in Hilo, in Kona, and on Guam, with a total of 17 beds. And I personally live in Kona, but I log into the different offices as well as travel on an almost monthly basis to each one of them. So why did you move from uh, New York and uh, New York City to uh, Hawaii? It's a good idea. So why? Yes, that, that's exactly right. Um, I did 23 years of academics and I love New York, but after a while, when I got a little older, I said, okay, I want to live somewhere really nice. And um, I took up an offer in Hawaii, and uh, then I opened my own seat center, which is Seat Center Hawaii and Guam Seat Center, and we are the largest uh, seat centers in the Pacific at this point. So the people that you see, are they different or very different from the people that you saw in New York? Um well, they all have mostly sleep apnea, which is they stop breathing at night, they snore loud, they tired during the day. However, uh, one of the differences is definitely personality. In New York, um, we had a lot of um, uh, lawyers and uh, business people, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I always had to um, be careful to um, c- cover my butt. Like I would dictate the report in front of them, so they knew number one it was dictated. And number two, that what I said is what they meant. Uh, whereas here in Hawaii, people are so happy to even have a provider because this is more rural. So they come with gift baskets. And one of my colleagues actually got two goats as a present for uh, being such a good doctor. So here they are extremely grateful. In New York, they are more demanding. Like, doctor, what can you do for me? And here it's more like, what can I do for you? Hmm. Well, that's a good thing. So it sounds like it's better for you in every way. More relaxing, yes. more beautiful, more appreciative. And appreciative, exactly. So what uh, 
do you work on advances in sleep apnea or um, is it a condition that's easily treatable and it's well understood? Okay. Well, we used to do a lot of research, not only on sleep apnea, but also on periodic movements in sleep and insomnia, etc. That was in my academic time. Uh, now we just follow the most um, established treatment options. I mean, I do go to the American Academy of Sleep Medicine meetings every year and um, do um, a continued medical education on this side. But uh, the apnea treatment has been pretty well established over like the last 20 years. Um, there are some tweaks to the different treatment modality modalities, but it's pretty much um, four options that patients have with the sleep apnea, and they're all pretty established. You said you used to study certain sleep disturbances. You, you said it pretty quickly. What are they? What were they? Oh, well, one... Basically, at Cornell and at uh, Mount Sinai, we studied um, periodic limb movements in sleep. We studied insomnia. Um, we studied all kinds of other conditions. However, the sleep apnea treatment is very well established. So I'm not doing research. I'm doing um, clinical uh, work. And the treatment right. options for people who stop breathing are, number one, the CPAP machine which is pretty well known. You even see at airports that people have to take out their CPAP machine. It's um, like a, a non-invasive ventilator. It uh, works like an air vacuum cleaner in reverse. It basically pushes out air and it um, is connected to a hose um, and the patient wears a mask uh, that have become as small as uh, almost like an oxygen tube under the nose. And that gives them the pressure support that they need because the airway collapses at night. That would be the gold treatment standard. There's also um, positional training when people only have apneas on their back because that's when the tongue falls back and they kind of choke. So there is positional training devices that put people on their side. There is um, definitely, we always recommend weight loss in somebody who is overweight or obese. And there are dental appliances that uh, it's called mandibular advancement device, which brings the jaw forward and thus opens up the airway. There's also ear, nose, and throat surgery. Uh, for example, children who have large tonsils, you take out the tonsils and the adenoids, and um, that usually helps the apnea significantly or even cures it. So depending on the, um, the history, the physical examination, the um, medications that people take, for example, if they take sedatives such as Valium, or if they drink a lot of alcohol, that is discouraged by us since it relaxes the upper airway muscles even more, and um, also it suppresses respiratory drive. So it's really, all well, these are the main treatment options, but whatever is best for a specific patient can only be determined in our clinic visit. Well, out of all these treatments, um, what are the predominant ones? Is CPAP used much more often than everything else? Yes. The CPAP is the gold standard, which we always try first because it gives you a 100% um, um, treatment result, which means patients may have um, 80 apneas an hour before, which means they stop breathing 80 times. They go like... Before we continue, 
I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click Support Us today. Now, back to the show. And then there's a pause, and the pause is the disease, and then they suffocate. So if uh, the relatives hear that, they usually make the diagnosis, or the spouses. So um, the CPAP is always tried first. However, um, some people just cannot tolerate something on their face. You know, they have claustrophobia, for example. So those people, for those people, we look at all the other treatment options. But CPAP is usually tried first. And about, in our clinic population, about 80% of patients actually can tolerate it. Once we just exchange the mask, I mean, there's probably 40 different masks out there or interfaces because some of them are not even a mask. They're just a, a hose under the nose called the Dreamwear. And that is usually tolerated quite well. Well, what are some things that you see help people get used to their CPAP as they're Training uh, are certain masks better than others. What what helps? Um, you <laughs> you can't really say which mask is better than the other because especially here in Hawaii we have Asian population and they have a very different nose from a Caucasian uh, population or black people they have wider nails so it's really you have to fit the mask like you fit a glove or like you fit a dress and. The better the fit, the better the result. So it's really individual. You can't just say, oh, we just like the um, the ResMed mask or we like the Philip Respironic Dreamwear or the ResMed um, or the Fisher Pycal. It depends on who um, needs the mask fit and how the individual likes it. Are there any custom masks where they make a mold of your your face and your features mm-hmm. and they may have custom one to you? Uh, we are not using them. They have been some in Germany when I used to work in Germany, but um, not currently. I I have, never, I have not needed to make a custom mask. Do you think something like that might be helpful? Um, the, you know, there's so many masks out there that there is a fit for everyone. I mean, there's probably 40, 50, and maybe 60 or 70 different masks with different sizes, different cushions, different pillows. So um, there has not been a need to make a custom mask. But there's got to be a way to do it where you don't have to go through all 40. You know, how do you get someone very quickly honed in on the right mask? Are there certain questions you ask or can you Mm -hmm. tell by looking at them? Well, we have technicians who are well-trained in mask fitting. There's also um, um, molds that we put on the patient's face, you know, with cutout. So we see if it's a wide or a medium or a small or whatever the patient needs. I mean, the technicians are usually pretty good in gauging what kind of mask a patient might need by looking and using their experience. However, there are 
um, the companies sell that sells the mask when they uh, sell us um, um, whole, a bunch of masks, they always um, include a measuring device. So um, the mask works whether you breathe through your mouth or your nose, it doesn't matter? Um, a very good question. Um, there are full face masks that cover the nose and the mouth. And then there are nasal masks for people who are really only nose breathers. Most people actually will breathe through their nose most of the night. Some of them, though, uh, are mouth and nose breathers, and those people we fit with a full face mask. Okay. Um. And so a person will be suspected of sleep apnea, and they'll come to see you. Then they'll do what a sleep study. And they'll sleep in uh, yes. your sleep center. Yes. Okay. Because also, your sleep centers are in the Pacific. Are they? Very beautiful sleep centers with uh, with palm trees and, and hammocks, or are they uh, are just uh, very, no. very high, very high tech, right? Uh, well, it's actually like a hotel room. We have mostly Murphy beds, so during the day we um, we have clinic, which is we see the patients, and then at night the bed comes down, and the patient sleeps in the Murphy bed. It, they they all full or queen size bed, and yes, the decoration is. Um, more Hawaiian style. We have wicker chairs, and we have uh, um, a palm palm decor and um, pictures on the wall with um, turtles and dolphins. So the decor is definitely Hawaiian style. We have a Hawaiian pattern uh, carpet, but um, and and outside our palm trees. Yes, that is true. <laughs> but it's not Good. a hammock. Definitely not. And what I was going you to find say is there is also. Yeah home sleep testing devices that have developed over the past few years. So um, for patients who cannot come to the hospital, I mean to the sleep center, uh, we would give them a home sleep testing device, which is so only is a the home sleep because, device like? Yeah, it's um, instead of 16 channels that we record in the sleep center, which also includes the brainwave to make sure that we actually record sleep and not wakefulness. Uh, the home sleep testing device only measures airflow, oxygen saturation, snoring, and body position. So um, it's a screener. If the home sleep test is negative, which means if it comes out normal, then uh, we but we suspect the patient having sleep apnea, um, then maybe the spouse was wearing the machine or they were awake all night or they were only on their side during that uh, night. So um, a screener, when it's positive, which means when it shows apnea, the patient has apnea. If it's negative, which means if it comes out no apnea, then we, we still want to evaluate the patient if our suspicion is high that they actually have sleep apnea. Okay. Do you feel like the home kids work well or... Uh... Is it better to just come in for a sleep study right away? Um, it is a better test, much more comprehensive, and we can also look for other sleep disorders that may cause, for example, patient presents, but he wakes up a lot at night. That um, may be due to many, many other sleep disorders. There's 84 sleep disorders, such as tooth grinding wakes people up, um, kicking their legs wakes people up, restless legs doesn't let them to go to sleep. Uh, there's narcolepsy, there's alpha wave intrusions. Uh, there's a lot of other sleep disorders that can cause 
poor sleep. So the way Basler test is a um, in-lab sleep study. However, the home sleep uh, studies, uh, we show the patients how to apply them at night. Uh, they take them home after they get like a short class. And uh, we have about five to maybe six or seven percent of failures, which means the, the it didn't record or it didn't record right or the Alex or, or the census fell out. <clears throat> but it's it's a fairly good screener. Yeah, it must be hard when you're used to sleeping at home in your own bed, and then you have to go and sleep on a Murphy bed, and maybe you feel like uh, you're being you're being watched, and you may not be able to sleep at the normal hours. You go to sleep and same pillow mm -hmm. everything mm -hmm. what do people do yes that's actually a question that we get from almost every patient how on earth am i going to sleep with all these electrodes on my head and the ch chest belt around my chest and an oximeter probe on my finger um if i already don't keep well at, at home uh, so what we recommend to those patients is uh, they definitely should not take any naps on the day of the test uh, if they are afraid they may not sleep, they should sleep very little the night before, so they're really tired when they come into the sleep center. But, you know, um, even though patients initially are very suspicious, um, we rarely, rarely have a night that we have to repeat because we don't have enough total sleep time. They do fall asleep. Okay. Do you, do you know um, in your studies of sleep, how does sleep change if you haven't slept well the night before versus what you have? You know, it's just a normal night sleep for you. Has anyone studied uh -huh. that? Uh, yeah. If you are sleep deprived, um, you usually go into more slow wave sleep, which is the deep sleep, and you may have more REM sleep on the recovery night. That would be like with um, uh, one night or two nights of uh, sleep deprivation. So they would have more slow wave sleep and more REM sleep. So, okay. but um, we we usually want to see as much REM sleep as possible because it's in REM sleep that the apneas get worse. So actually, we want a lot of REM sleep. Why is the, the apneas, apneas happen in REM sleep more often? Um, they're more severe because in REM sleep we are paralyzed. All the muscles are paralyzed, and so um, the muscles in the throat that collapse during an apnea, they are even more collapsible because there is no muscle tone. And that's when the oxygen really drops to like 50% or even lower. If the, um, Whereas in non-REM sleep, they may just drop to 80%. But that's so low. You know? Normal oxygen oh, yeah. saturation is, is what, 95% is good? 95 what? to 100, yes. Right. Oh, we see very scary... Um, um, oxygen saturations. And you know, um, unfortunately, the patients don't live too long. If they have untreated sleep apnea, um, our patient population is rarely uh, over 60. They're usually between 25 and 45, and um, then they may have died already. Really? Yeah, because uh, people get, uh, you know, when the brain doesn't get oxygen and the heart doesn't get enough oxygen, Oh, they get strokes, they get heart attacks, they um, blood pressure um, shoot up, um, diabetes control gets worse, um, and uh, they and weight gain continues. Hmm. So it's a pretty deadly disease. How long do you think it uh, takes to affect someone to the point where they'll have a stroke or 
does I have some other condition? Mm, well, it's difficult to study that, so I can only make a guess. Uh, probably 10, yeah. 15 years of hypoxemia mm. is probably enough to damage the tissue enough. Mm. Um, so you said most of the patients are between 25 and 45? Uh, yeah, or 50. Wow. That's pretty young starting at 25. That's great. Well, the I didn't 20, know it. So. Right. Well, the 25-year-olds, I have to make a little disclaimer. Here in Hawaii and on Guam, we have a lot of military uh, personnel. So about a third of our patient population is military. And the military is very careful not to miss sleep apnea, especially in soldiers who operate um, dangerous machinery or who are pilots um, who are really need to be awake and alert and oriented. So they send uh, sleep apnea patients at the slightest suspicion. So that's why we get a lot of the young ones, because they want to make sure they catch it early. The military is very good in screening for any sleep disorder. They're also very good in uh, touting that patients should exercise, they should eat well, and they should sleep eight hours a night. I've seen those uh, posters in the uh, military hospitals, and I think that's great. Yeah, that's good. Hmm. Uh, why do you think uh, ha apnea apnea happens to some people and not others? Um, one of uh, uh, one of the conditions is basically the body habitus. If people have a small mandible, for example, they are prone to have sleep apnea. If they have a large tongue and a small smallish mandible. Um, and they are prone to have sleep apnea. If they are obese, then the fat that accumulates on the neck kind of compresses the airway from the inside. Uh, they have sleep apnea. Um, when they get older, you're more likely to have sleep apnea because the tissue, unfortunately, becomes more lax when people age, like flabbier. And um, it's either anatomy or it is lifestyle, like if people drink a lot, the alcohol relaxes the upper airway muscles and um, can definitely exacerbate sleep apnea. So um, there is a lot of predisposing factors and precipitating factors that you have to um, consider. And what do you feel like you learned about apnea by working with it You know, for so long? Any uh, the usual or interesting things you've learned, trends or knowledge? Well, the mo the most uh, interesting thing that always uh, still amazes me is how people change in terms of uh, um, when when they're treated. They come back and they say, you know what, I can work now. I don't fall asleep at the desk. I don't fall asleep driving. I can actually have sex with my spouse again because I have less erectile dysfunction. Um, I'm happier. I mean, basically, whenever the brain does not get enough oxygen, including in the limbic system, which uh, is our mood control and appetite control and sexual control, then um, people just are not doing well. So uh, what still amazes me is when they come in grumpy, uh, kind of depressed looking, falling asleep in the waiting room, uh, spouse is unhappy, they have to sleep in a different room because they snore so loud. And then um, it seems to make a major difference in people's lives and the marital lives after you treat the apnea. And that's actually why I like my job. And also, it's not just me. It, it, we also have physician assistants and um, 
um, APRN, which is Advanced Practice Registered Nurse, um, they actually see most of the clinic patients, and they love their job. They say, Dr. Bartlett, this is so nice. People don't go downhill, like in neurology, for example, which is my primary um, specialty. People usually get worse, and they die eventually. ALS, multiple sclerosis, um, epilepsy, uh, not many diseases go get better, whereas sleep apnea is almost like a panacea for many, many illnesses. Well, that's great. That's excellent. What do you see as the uh, future of treatment? Any new things coming that you think will make it even better? Um, not that I know of. I mean, the mandibular advancement devices have become very slick now, so uh, they are being used more. Um, surgery uh, is to be taken with a grain of salt. They used to take out the um, the uvula a lot, but that doesn't really help much because the obstruction is usually at the base of the tongue. So the one trend I see is uh, people are also using the whole sleep testing more. Uh, like insurances want the home sleep test first because it's cheaper. However, from a medical standpoint, it's not the best uh, solution. So yes, there are trends towards home sleep studies. There's trends um, more mandibular advancement devices, but um, that has actually been in the last few years. And I don't see any like new uh, gadget on the horizon that maybe um, added to the therapeutic um, armatory that we have to treat sleep apnea. So it's, it's usually CPAP first, obviously associated, uh, accompanied by weight loss, positional training, avoidance of sedatives at night, and then the second line would be mandibular advancement device, surgery, um, and that's, I mean, that's usually efficient. If we go through all of these different treatment options, we can usually treat the patient. Okay, very good. All right. Well, um, anything new coming in the next six to twelve months? Are you opening up any more locations? Are there any areas that are underserved that you want to work? Um, yeah. Well, we are definitely in underserved area here in Hawaii. Uh, we were actually thinking maybe uh, opening a lab in um, in Salt Lake City and or in Las Vegas. So we are toying with the idea. Okay. Well, very good. Well, Gabrielle, thank you for coming. I, I really appreciate it. And uh, I'm glad you found a better place to do the work and your patients are very appreciative. That's good. Good. Well, thank you so much for, the, uh, for interviewing me. And I hope I can maybe save one or two lives by um, increasing awareness of how dangerous sleep apnea is and how much treatment can make people better. Aloha. And the website. Aloha. And, and the website to to uh, reach you or to find out more about the work. What's the website? Yeah, sleepcenterhawaii.com. Like S L E E P C E N T E R H A W A I I dot com. That would be our website. And on for Guam, it's guamsleepcenter.com. Very or you good. can call. 808-456-REST to reach us uh, by phone. All right, very good. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. 
You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.